Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates, ready to go. OutKick 360 underway. Monday edition is here from 6th and Peabody in Nashville, Tennessee with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us. The entire crew is here. And we are set for a big show. Coming up in 20 minutes, we have former Tennessee Volunteer point guard and now a Memphis Grizzly. Kennedy Chandler will be on the show today. Plus, from the WWE with SummerSlam coming up this Saturday, Riddle is on the show coming up in hour number three. And in between, NFL training camp news and notes to get you ready for the official start to all of the camps across the league. And we'll recap the SEC news from a week ago. But first, we say hello to Chad Withrow, who is back from Nebraska. Boys, I missed you. It's good to be back from the prairie. Uh, my prairie life is now over for at least the next few months. And um, it, the week went quick. I'm not going to lie. It did not drag on at all. It felt like I woke up one morning and we were leaving the next day and uh, came back to see you guys. So it's good to be back. And uh, I missed you, and I got to ride a horse for the first time. <laughs> That's the first trip. time you so, ever rode a horse. First time I ever ever rode a horse. It looked like. How it. did it go? <laughs> well, it's it's. Yeah, we a got lot, like Zapruder film. It's of it. a lot easier. Like people are like, "Are you nervous at all on the horse, or did you feel you know weird up there?" And I never did because my seven year old daughter is riding the horse, and I'm watching her do it. I'm thinking, if she can do this, Dad's not going to be afraid of the horse. I'll get up on the horse and be just fine, and I was just fine. Now, there is that moment where you're thinking, you know, you start. I don't have spurs on. I'm wearing my tennis shoes, but you start to kick the side of the horse a little bit to get him going just to, to trot a little bit, and I'm thinking, if this horse just took off, I'm going to have a hard time staying on it. Like, if it decided, got spooked, and ran as fast as it could, I, I might fall off the horse. But other than that, it was a, a controlled environment. Walked around in circles a little bit, did a little trotting, and no big problem at all. My horse was disobedient when I uh, most recently rode. Where did you ride? I rode, you know, my sister had worked for years and years at a private boarding school where taking care of a horse is part of the curriculum for the kids. And so we were there in the summer, and my brother-in-law's sister is also on the faculty, so she was big in the horse program. She took Simon and I uh, out, and he was... Riding his horse around, and my horse wouldn't move. Well, Lila was a very gentle horse, and uh, she, she treated me well. So there were no big issues, I, and uh, we, we did it just fine. I understand the, the line of thinking, though, like the apprehensive uh, nature to get on something with a brain and a mind of its own. Um, because I, on the farm growing up, we, you had them, though. we had three horses. Yeah, and um, my mom and my brother loved them. I was in fifth grade, and you know I, I rode horses – for as long as I could remember. You're the horseman of the group. Um, <laughs> no, my mom was, for sure. Uh, her and, and my brother. But we, you know, uh, we had this horse, Dobbin, who was gentle, uh, Tennessee walking horse, uh, massive but gentle. And for whatever reason, the day I was riding him in fifth grade, 
he saw something and it was spooked and there was nothing stopping him and he just took off and at the time we had a 40 40 acre farm i mean he took off and just would not stop no matter what i was trying to do so a you just uh, hold I, on for dear life no, at that I just, point? No, I bailed like I would if I were skiing down a mountain and hit something and was losing my balance or I was going too fast and I couldn't stop when I was first starting to ski. You just bail. So and, how fast uh, is he going, you I think, don't know. when you bail? Uh, it always, it's a lot like a roller coaster. It's, it's, it feels a lot faster than what it looks whenever you're going you know, 74 miles per hour so or whatever it is. just trying to land on Dollywood. your shoulder? Like a full no, body? I, I don't even remember landing. I just remember like, man, I'm not getting back on. Because I mean, you're you're yeah. you're in no control whatsoever unless they allow you to have control. So how long before you were back on a horse? Oh, it was yeah, a couple years? Of years. Yeah, a couple of years. I, I don't blame Bob. you on that. It takes one time where something goes south, and it could be very very bad. Is Dobbin gone? And you, you have to have respect. Of, Long gone. Yeah. You have to have full respect of the animal before you mount the animal. <laughs> That's the best way I would describe it, because if you don't, this, you these could are the be kind in, of things you I could say be in trouble. Late night after well, lots here's, of confidence here's the other thing I, I know. So I, I love the show Yellowstone, for instance, and Kevin Costner's on a horse in a number of movies. The actors that are know how to ride a horse and handle a horse make it look so easy. Yes. And they know exactly how to let up on the reins, to pull back on the reins, to turn the horse. I don't know how... Hard to pull back or do things. And that's the one thing that my mother-in-law kept saying, ease up on the reins a little bit, ease up, because you pull back the slightest bit. They're going to hold back. And they've got that, you know, the bit, and you pull back, it's going to hurt their teeth, and they're going to start backing up. Mm -hmm. So I was pulling the horse back in reverse every time Uh I'd try to stop it, and it would stop and start going the other direction. And then trying to turn it, it's like I wasn't turning enough when I tried to turn the horse, you know, get, get it going one direction or the other. And my daughter doing it, I noticed that was her instruction, too. She's way too tough on the horse the whole time, kicking it or turning it really, you know, violently to where it was hurting the horse as as she turned it. So the way they can easily maneuver it is really impressive. Now that I watch these shows and movies and see the actors that know exactly what they're doing on a horse... I've got a new respect no for No delicate touch from Chad. So what, one of the I things... I was too delicate in some cases and not delicate enough in others. What, what, another thing that, that hindered me from the farm life was were allergies. And you get the allergy test, and horse, horse hair is among those that... 99% of those with really bad hay allergies, you're allergic to horse hair. Withrow said that the, the week went by fast. I don't know how it went by fast for you, considering the, uh, the allergy attack that you, you endured. Well, see, a few years ago, I did this uh, when I was a, a small child. I did the full allergy test, and I did it again probably five years ago. You test for, I think, 42 different environmental allergens. I was allergic to 36 or 37. Cockroach is one of them, believe it or well, not. Well, I'm allergic to grass. Like <laughs> yeah. if I took my shirt off and went face first and did a slide in the grass, I'd come up with welts Let's do all that over as my a show body. segment. Uh, it's not fun. And now that I know that, Hutton, about horse hair, being, it's if you're allergic there. to yeah. it, it's bad. I, I have three or four hours after riding this horse. I sneeze for probably two hours. Could not breathe. Could not fall asleep. Ah, Had to just let it run its course. I know. And he said it went by fast. The allergies up there. Well, the first three days. Imagine the other trips if this went by fast. (laughs) Well, it makes sense now. (laughs) I wish you would have told me this while I was doing that because I was around the horse the first day, terrible. Around the horse on day number three, terrible. Yep. And I was bad the middle day. And then after that, I went outside, played some wiffle ball. 
Uh, did some different things. Not bad allergies from that point on. So stay away from the horse in the horse area with all the hay. And the horse now is is the what I need to do. So that, the, that's good to know. The fastest recorded race time for a thoroughbred is 44 miles per hour. Uh, the quarter horse is the world's fastest sprinter, and it's been clocked at 55 miles per hour. The average gallop is around 27 miles per hour. There you go. It's not it's not slow. You know what else isn't slow? Playing wiffle ball with a 14-year-old and pitching to him and having him hit the ball so hard back at you, you're wearing sunglasses, it knocks your sunglasses off and makes it partially askew your sunglasses and you I put them back the on. Askew. I was uh, uh, pitching in a, in a wiffle ball game, and I mean, I took a shot off the face, and it stunned me so much. I went down and picked up the ball and threw it to first, and everybody's looking at me like, are you okay? Are you concussed? Because it destroyed the sunglasses I was wearing off my head. It hit me right in the eyeball if I was not wearing sunglasses. The sunglasses saved me. I've got soreness on my eye orbit. Where the ball hit, it actually it went knuckle? in and made an indention. So you're looking at a black guy, my, if not for oh, the... Oh, I'm looking at... You guys are looking at me thinking, who did you tussle with that horse at, the really local, got you. At, the, at the village bar? <laughs> did you go to the village bar and get did into it, a fight? Did because it I would be swollen over. Or was it straight away? I mean, Paul... I, you can't tell. I literally threw the pitch, and that's the last thing that I remember. It was in my eye. <laughs> I did not even move my arm. Like I, I didn't react. It was hit back. So, And I'm also... We're throwing... I'm, I'm throwing BP. I, I was watching yeah. the home run derby the, the, you know, two nights before, and I'm just grooving him in there trying to put the ball in play. And yeah, oh yeah, he was safe. But I mean, look down. The first thing I noticed was my sunglasses aren't on. I didn't feel them come off my head. So I immediately assumed my sunglasses were destroyed. They were not. They're, again, slightly askew. As and these I are said. not the Walmart versions. This back goes fast. against my theory that the Walmart versions are the ones that you'll never destroy or lose. These are your Ray-Bans, right? These are the Ray-Bans, and so I immediately thought, well, there's $300 down the drain when that ball came right back at me, and it's fine. I, I live to tell the story. That was my Nebraska trip. So went to a little water park, went nice. to the local municipal pool in Tilden, Nebraska, did a day trip, in Nebraska. took a day trip to <laughs> Burwell, Nebraska, and uh, I, I were right about that How are they, for OutKick. The drought was a really bad problem there a couple of weeks ago. Are they better in that regard? They're better. Good. So Nebraska, basically the entire state, or at least the eastern part of the state, is under an ocean of water. So everything you get is well water. It's from the ground. They plug it in, and you're drinking the water underneath your feet. Because it's a huge, you know, lake, basically, the entire state underground. Um, so that obviously helps them a lot. But the drought was not kind to the Nebraskans. We're going to get a lot of rain uh, here this week. Uh, hopefully that does not dampen the spirits of football practices that are opening up across the country. Uh, looking forward to bringing you the, the news and notes across the NFL. Uh, most of them officially get underway tomorrow. Uh, with practices starting on Wednesday. But, Paul, is it four or five practices prior to their first padded practice? Yeah, it's four is the um, assimilation period, whatever whatever the, the word they use, and then a mandatory day off. Every fifth day. And so the hitting starts for all of these teams is allowed to start Monday, August 1st. So – We've kind of got a ramp-up period here, too. There'll be a lot of news about who's doing what and how people look. But Monday is when you really start to be able to, to get some things beyond the receivers and corners. Anything you know, if you that want resembles offensive line, yeah. yeah, you know. An actual training camp. But for about a week, it's going to be very, in Fluffy. fact, exactly the same as a mini camp practice. Pretty in much, essence. yeah. 
I, I guess you could have one-on-ones. You couldn't have one-on-ones yeah. before. So you can see receivers go against defensive backs this week. That'll be the, the big step up. But the big step up comes a week from today where there could be, can be packed. I want a return to practice mattering in sport. This is, this is something that I have a big issue I with. I think don't think you're going to see it. I think the pandemic put a dent in this. It was already heading this way. And, Paul, I'm talking about for people like you that go to practices and watch also. I, I, I remember a day, I sound like a you know, 75-year-old man, where training camp mattered. Well, and watching people ton. practice mattered. Yeah. And here's football where... practice mattered. And I feel like every year that passes, something cuts into it where agents and players associations and everyone else try to argue that practices don't matter. They're going to be just fine. And because media is not there to watch it, it's all devalued. I don't like that. Well, the media, so the, we should get back to more of a newsworthiness aspect of NFL practices now. Minus COVID. Uh, because the locker rooms are open again. Well, locker rooms during camp are only open if a coach allows it. It's not going to be the case here. The locker room will open during the preparation for the first game. What well, I think the new, what Chad, That'll what you're getting at, I, and I don't disagree with you from the offseason standpoint. There, there are bits and pieces. Uh, there are spots. There are things, but in the large part, the offseason rarely gets referenced other than a signing or you you trading away a player. I don't even care about the, um, the rookie slotted deals mean nothing to me. Like yeah. Malik Willis signed this weekend. I didn't even reference it in a tweet. Yeah. And, and so when we get to when we get to practice, I mean, for the from the Titans perspective, there's not a ton of of starting positions up for grabs. They're more than usual, but if the incumbent, I mean, quote have, unquote, if the guy that's first in line doesn't win it, it'll be a surprise. They have a two, you know, they have two options on the offensive line, but it, it's it's very difficult to, from a media perspective, to grade <laughs> offensive line play when they're not even in pads. You, you're right. going to see that in the joint practices against the Bucks and the Cardinals, but the day the daily regiment of camp. It, it's very difficult to judge offensive line play. Period. Let alone with, with, you know with with you know, shells on in some of these practices and not even full pads. Point being, the when the locker rooms are open across the league and it's back to the pre-COVID offseason where reporters and columnists and anyone covering the team nowadays, when they can get in and have a one-on-one conversation with someone without another media member coming up and asking the same type questions or jumping in on a conversation that sounds really good, and therefore riding off of the conversation that someone else is having, that's when we're going to see more newsworthy points of emphasis on and a depth. daily... Yeah, yeah, and right now it is all... It, I won't say it's all surface level, but when it goes a layer or two deeper, it's out immediately through four or five outlets instead of one or two guys really trying to dig in on something. So... I agree with you. I, That'll be better. When the locker room is open, that's when we'll see more of the daily... News that you feel like you haven't seen in a while. And it's not going to be because, you know, practice mattered. It's going to be because guys had one-on-one conversations and that look, no we'll, one else we'll yeah, into I, I some. Want, I want jobs to be decided in, in practice also at times. You know, not not everyone. We, we understand how the payment structure works and who's getting paid to be the contributor, who's getting paid to be someone coming off the bench. I, I get all that. But there's such a finite, small amount of games in football that to me it's the one sport that practice truly matters. At the professional level. like We wait so long for football season to get here. And I'm excited to get rolling with training camp. 
I want these practices to matter. I want us to talk about them like they matter more. And I don't want to continue to devalue it. Practice in baseball doesn't matter when you play 162 games. You are working through things during games. Same goes for basketball and hockey at times. This is a sport where you get such a limited amount of game time once a week, and there's not a ton of games, that this time must matter. I think, and I hope we get back to more of that starting this this training. Camp. I think you're dead on into it. I think the things have shrunk, right? We're going to talk about some of this later, but like for for Tua and Zach Wilson, you know, there's a huge camp in terms of developing chemistry with all these guys they brought in around them. But how much can you gauge that? You know, how much do they rest, guys? How much do they play in preseason games that have become pretty much meaningless? They didn't have a lot of meaning to start with, and now. A lot of people are more into injury protection than they are into building that chemistry in those situations as opposed to the joint practices, which are very popular. Here in Nashville, you know, here's the big story on the first day, Chad. Is Traylon Burks out there? Does he look fit? Can he make it through the practice? That's not what you're talking about in terms of big practice storyline, but that's a big practice storyline in the NFL circa 2020. Quickly on that. So we we talked about this with Traylon Burks showing up. We said pretty consistently – out of shape. Guy looks out of shape. He's winded quickly, and there's all, oh, we don't know what's going on, and this is the, and then the Titans come out and say he's got asthma, and then Sam Pittman well, says, I, I wasn't aware of him having issues with asthma. And Sam Pittman lit him up for a sophomore year, said he just yeah, wasn't he said in he shape, wasn't, wasn't couldn't in finish shape. stuff. I don't know about chasing hogs, but it didn't do much for his conditioning. I, I just, and then Diana Rossini comes out and says, from an organization who doesn't say much, and does, is, does not give out a lot of information, here's the information I've gathered. He's gotten in shape now for the season. I, it, this is just a ridiculous story to me. I think the people that protected the Titans and Traylon Burks by not saying exactly what was going on, this dude looks fat and out of shape. We can say that. Now we have no problem saying that because Diana Rossini says, yeah, he was out of shape, but now he's in shape. So right. let's just move right along. Let's just go right along. Everybody who protected this guy and said that he, oh, he's, guys, this guy's a pro athlete. He played in the SEC. He's fine. Maybe he's got a health issue. Maybe it's the allergies. Maybe I had bad allergies in Nebraska after riding a damn horse. And I ran from home to first better in a wiffle ball game than this guy did competing, completing one drill at an NFL practice. I lasted longer in worse heat in Nebraska with worse allergies than that. And people were saying allergies. You know how ridiculous they, they sound now? Everyone who claimed that sounds ridiculous. And I want to put that on the record because we were on the record saying, the dude is out of shape. Doesn't mean he's going to play week one out of shape. And now Diana Rossini, of course, is saying in a podcast, oh, he's fine now. Guy got himself in shape. Great job. You know who was in shape for is, is Kennedy Chandler, who is about to join us. Uh, guard Had no for the problem Memphis finishing Grizzlies. a drill, no. by the way, with, with the Tennessee Vols None. or the Grizzlies, to our knowledge. We say hello Finished all the drills. to Fox Sports 95.9 in Paducah, Kentucky, the Four Rivers region of Western Kentucky. Uh, we're glad that the Outkick Network is on such a great station there, as well as in Cape Girardeau in the southeast region of, uh, of Missouri on Fox Sports 97.3. We say hello to our new partners across the OutKick network. Kennedy Chandler next on OutKick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. 
a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Crew is all here, and we are joined by Kennedy Chandler, 38th overall selection this past NBA draft by the San Antonio Spurs and then traded to the Memphis Grizzlies. The Vol for Life joins us on 360 now. Kennedy, great to have you on, man. Hope things are well. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. How has it been now a, a few weeks into the NBA life? How would you describe it? Uh, you know, it's been real good, you know, just getting used to uh, the NBA life and, you know, playing with all my teammates, you know, getting used to the chemistry with them and, you know, just enjoying this process and having fun with it, honestly. How big was the swing from, I'm sure, some level of disappointment when you're projected in the first round by almost everyone, you go early in the second round, and then you end up with your hometown team, the Memphis Grizzlies, and that leads to really good things with the contract you just signed. But how big was that swing of emotion for you going through that? Or were you able, Kennedy, to stay pretty level-headed throughout the whole process? Uh, yeah, you know, it was a really tough decision. Not tough decision, but it was tough for me to know that, you know, I fell that low, um, knowing that, you know, like you said, I was supposed to be going first round. That's what I expected. But, you know, it all turned out perfectly. Me going back home, you know, I think, I think it was the best fit, honestly, me going to Grizzlies and me playing. With y'all and you know Ty Jones back now, you know learning from them and you know learning from them, you know they've been their vets. You know Ty Jones, I feel like he's one of the best backup point guards in the league. So just learning from him and you know I feel like everything I turned out how it's supposed to be. What was the summer league experience like, and uh, and what did guys maybe tell you about how that how that works as a, as an initial toe in the water? Uh, summerly, it happens so fast, you know, as soon as you get drafted, they give you like three, four days, you know, settle down. Then right after that, we had practice for a week and, you know, we had, we had to put things in, you know, we're going twice a day, you know, all happened so fast. So uh, it would go straight into summerly, you know, we went to Utah first, then we went to Vegas. So, you know, we was gone from the 4th to the 17th. So it's long, you know, um, but, you know, it's a grind, you know, you just got to be ready to play, you know. You, you're ready. Honestly, you've been doing pre-job workouts for a month. So, you know, getting back to playing, hooping, and, you know, it felt good to be back out there. You know, it's uh, you, you hear the term one and done thrown out for, for a long time now with players in terms of their NBA future. Um, I, hearing about you in the state of Tennessee, Kennedy, it, it was for maybe since your freshman year of high school that I would hear one and done thrown out wherever you end up going and playing in college basketball. I'm curious, from your perspective, when did you start to think about the possibility of being a one-year college player and going straight to the NBA after one season of college basketball? Um, yeah, you know, people would say they would think I wanted done and stuff like that, but, you know, I just had the mindset, you know, just coming to college, you know, I tell Coach Barnes that I didn't want him to feel like that was my mindset. I was just going one and done. I wanted to compete. I told him I want to win an SEC championship and, you know, a national championship. You know, unfortunately, we didn't win a national championship, but we did win an SEC championship. And they haven't won that in a very long time. So, 
You know, I really wasn't thinking about that throughout the whole year. I just wanted to get better every single day and learn from Coach Barnes because he's coached very great point guards like TJ Ford. So I, I really want to think about that. But, you know, people were saying it. But for me, just getting better every single day. Then after we lost against Michigan, uh, I waited a week to talk to my family about it. And I told Coach Barnes and all my teammates that, you know, I was coming back. And But, you know, it was a very – it was a decision that, I, you know, I, I thought was best for me and my family thought was best for me as well. The, the the fact that you decided to go to Tennessee, I think, says a lot about what you wanted in your development because Rick Barnes is notoriously very difficult on his point guards that come through the program. Did you know that going in? Was he very honest with you about how difficult he can be on his starting point guard? And was that something that appealed to you? Yeah, I knew it was going to be tough for me, but you really don't realize until you uh, – to you honestly like get there and you know you see him honestly get on to you so I realized that after my first practice really you know he got on to me knowing the type of coach he is what to expect from him so you know he's tough on his point guards and he was very tough on me my freshman year but you know it helped me for the long run knowing I could be coached if I know I could be coached by Coach Barnes I know I could be coached by anybody else you know at the next level of NBA so I know he's gonna he prepared me for the next level. Kennedy Chandler our guest on Outkick 360 with NIL being a huge factor now could or would you or did you receive an offer that was anywhere close to staying based on NIL perspectives compared to what you're receiving in the NBA contract? No, I didn't. I didn't receive anything um, after I decided to, or for me wanting to come back. I didn't receive nothing uh, for me to want to come back to Tennessee at all. Was there something that might have prompted you to to consider staying if if they came to you with an NIL? package um that's you know that's funny um you know it's, it's some you know it didn't happen i don't know i don't think you know it would change my mind i gotta do what's best for me not for the money honestly that's that was that's what i would say that's what i thought if that would have happened i would have done what's best for me and and you know i feel like it was the best situation that could ever happen for me me being back home and like you said with the new contract that i got and you know, just a blessing is God, you know, even though, you know, it didn't turn out me going first uh, first round, you know, I went 38 back on the Grizzlies playing with Jaw, you know, my, like, he's like a big brother to me, honestly. So it's just playing for him, learning from him and learning from Ty Jones and, you know, everything turned out how I wanted it to turn out. You know, you uh, you had a heck of a first year. If you would have used that leverage, I can guarantee you, you would have been paid at Tennessee with what some guys are making at Tennessee right now. And, uh, when you make that decision, I know you want to move forward and go to the NBA, but looking back now, Kennedy, there's going to be a lot of guys like you that are going to have a chance to be you know, fringe late first round, early second round guy in the NBA draft that's going to go to a big program with a lot of fans like Tennessee that may have that opportunity. Do you think because NIL is now legal and schools and collectives are able to do this that maybe it entices some guys to come back for one extra year? because they could make some money with NIL at a school? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, like I said before, it's just, you know, NIL is big now. Like you could say, um, I think the Nico kids coming to Tennessee, he's getting, you know, he's getting the back coming here, I think. So it just, it just all depends your name and who you are, honestly, I feel like. And, you know, it's about what you want to do with your future. Do you want to come back for the money or do you want to go somewhere the next level? a dream that you always dreamed of since she was a kid and, you know, take it 
step by step, day by day, and don't go for the money, do what's best for you. That's how I would put it for me. You know, I would do what's best for me, not for the money. Taylor Jenkins and the coaching staff and, and maybe the front office kind of sit down and talk you through expectations, what they want from you, where they expect you to be in terms of rotational player or what you have to do to get minutes, stuff like that? Or do you go into camp kind of not knowing any of that stuff and having to figure it out and, and earn it with your play? Yeah, we really haven't discussed any of that. Um, for me, you know, just going in, you know, putting in the work, um, you know, showing them for me, you know, being a rotation, honestly, you know, it's all about grinding, you know, getting in the gym every single day, letting them know, you know, for the, for you to be in a rotation, you know, nothing's nothing's given to you. You have to earn it. That's everywhere you go. Everything is earned. So I feel like I, everything I've done, you know, I've earned it. So I just have to do it at the next level with the Grizzlies as well. Kennedy Chandler, our guest on Outkick 360. Who are you most looking forward to playing against? Growing up a fan of the NBA, now you're in the league. Who comes to mind first now that you're officially in the league? Uh, first is Chris Paul. He's my favorite player, so playing against him for sure. And, you know, playing against a guy like LeBron, honestly, just playing, you know, against a lot of guys. I can name a lot of guys, you know, I've watched since I was a kid. You know, now I'm going to end up playing against them, but – for sure, Chris Paul, he's my favorite player, you know, of all time. And, you know, he's a guy that I looked up to. I watched film of a guy that me and Coach Barnes watched film. And, you know, you know, I studied a lot of film from him. So that's a guy that, you know, I'm looking forward to playing the most. How long have you known Ja? You mentioned he's a mentor of sorts to you. Uh, I've known Ja since uh, my junior year in the summertime when he first got drafted to the Grizzlies and he's looking somewhere to hoop at. And, you know, he takes the media, asks where the hoop runs at. Uh, I told him where it was at. Then ever since then, my relationship with him and his family has grown ever since. And, you know, like I said before, he's just like a big brother to me. You know, he's family to me. Uh, my, family treats him, my family treats his family as family. So, you know, we just have that relationship. And, you know, we got a little chemistry, you know, from playing with each other through the hoop runs. And, I'm, you know, I'm just looking forward to learning from him and learning from Ty Jones as well. So uh, we've certainly seen you throw it down at Tennessee. I'm not surprised with the vertical leap. Uh, I, I will admit, though, I did a double take whenever I saw that you had the highest vertical of anyone at the NBA Combine at 41 and a half inches. Is, are we going to see a, a, a dunk contest participant next to your name in the coming years? <laughs> I, I don't know about that. You know, I just uh, I can't I can do in many things as those guys can, like Obi Toppin or Jalen Green. No, I can't do none of that. But, you know, um, you know, my, I definitely show my athleticism in a game, and that's for a guy, a guy my height, you know, for me to be, you know, show my lessons like that. You don't see the many guys having that athleticism. So, for sure, me using my athleticism in a game. Is there anyone that you've ever played against that's like John Morant? I have a hard time, Kennedy, finding someone that's similar to him in, in skill set and what he's able to do at, at his size. You've played in pickup games with him. You've watched him. You've played against a lot of great players. Is there anyone that you watch or have played with or against and think, well, they may not be as good, but this person plays similar to John Morant? I'll say Jaden Ivey. You know, I played with him at USA, and I feel like his comparison, you know, that's uh, that's his favorite player, uh, you know, uh, John Morant. You know, um, you know, his mom was on the coaching staff with the Grizzlies, and I played with Jaden. Um, 
with USA when we won our gold medal. So I feel like his game really simulates to John Moran just how explosive he is, how athletic he is, and I feel like they have a similar game with each other. You mentioned the SEC championship in the SEC tournament. I went to Tennessee, and it has been a long time coming for a really good basketball program that had been shut out of winning that tournament championship for, for many years. Um, do you feel the weight of history at all when you're playing in a tournament and you know going into it that you're playing for a school that hasn't won in a long time? Or was that not an issue at all as you guys went on your run down in Tampa and won that title? Uh, you know, it's a lot of pressure every single game, really. You know, fans expect you to win every single game. So, you know, it's a lot of pressure coming into every single game because you, you do want to win every single game. So coming into SEC tournament, you know, our mindset, it just – we try. We, we treat it, that as you know, March Madness. You know, you win, you go, or you're done. You, we can't win the SEC championship, and we know and win the SEC championship. We want to have the highest seed coming to March Madness. So we took every game day by day, and you know, each possession by each possession, and you know, um, we didn't really. I don't think we put that weight on our shoulders. Honestly, I feel like we just came in ready to play every single game and take it game by game. Coming off of a COVID season with limited attendance. Fans were ready to get back in the building, and when you guys were building throughout the season and getting better and better, the there were some crazy atmospheres at Thompson Bowling Arena. I'm thinking about the Kentucky game, the game against Auburn, maybe Arkansas. Is there one that you can pick out, Kennedy, and say that was my favorite environment to play in in Knoxville looking back on that one season? Man, I got I got a couple of games, honestly. All our games were crowded. You know, like I said before, we had the best fans in the country. Um, would be Auburn. I feel like it started with Kentucky. When we be Kentucky at home, then you know we had Arkansas. Then we had Auburn. I feel like those three games at home were the best. And Arizona, uh, right before Christmas, those that's when the game. That's when I feel like game started really I really saw Tennessee fans come out and support it was that Arizona game I was like man it's a lot of people here you know but you know for sure those three SEC games Auburn Arkansas and Kentucky you know it's probably sold I think the Auburn game was sold out I think so uh I, I feel like we're the best fans in the country so those three games right there you know I feel like you know Tennessee fans they definitely come out and support it not just basketball but all sports you know I went to baseball games my two best friends, they play football, Jabari Small, Lamar Thomas, they play football. So not with all their games for the football season. So I feel like Tennessee fans support every single sport. I think you earned a lot of respect and a lot of uh, lifelong fans from Tennessee fans for your performance in a loss against Michigan in the second round of the NCAA tournament. You left everything out there, Kennedy. There were you know guys, teammates that definitely had off games in that one. Um, and the emotion came out after the loss – and you were actually consoled by Jawan Howard. What is the background with, with you and Jawan Howard? What was that moment like? And it felt like watching it that you kind of knew that may be your one shot at the NCAA tournament when the season ended. What was going through your mind during that game and then afterward when, when Jawan Howard consoled you? Yeah, I've known Jawan Howard since fifth grade. I played with his son, Jet. That's an incoming freshman right now at – uh, Michigan, I play with him on AAU days uh, with the team called the Night Riders. They're on the Nike circuit. So uh, I've known Joan for a very long time. We had a great connection. And, you know, I felt like those tears just came out knowing that 
I won't get to play with these group of guys anymore. You know, we won an SC championship and everybody remember us in that team and me knowing that I won't be able to play with those guys anymore. And, you know, some guys won't be coming back. And, you know, I want to win a national championship. You know, I hate losing. You know, I feel like, but, you know, when I lose, you know, I don't cry. But not knowing that I won't be able to play with those guys, I feel like that was emotion. That's what came out. Because once I head to the locker room, you see everybody else crying. You know, it just showed how much they care. Because, you know, you don't see many guys crying, you know, after losing March Madness. You might see a couple guys, you know, if they're seniors. But you don't see some freshmen. You don't, you don't see uh, your whole team crying. So, you know, that's how you know that how much this team cared to win it. And what they did, knowing that we got volunteers on our jerseys, how much we want to win every single game. Is there a venue or a team in the NBA that you're particularly excited about uh, going against or, or getting the visit? Um, you know, I'm excited for every single game. It's not one team, you know. It's probably players more than teams, you know, that I'm just excited for this process. You know, it's a dream, it's a dream that I've always dreamed of since I was a kid. So, you know, I'm just excited for this process, you know. I never played, you know, we got 82 games, a lot of games compared to college and high school. So, you know, this is really important. Like LeBron spends a million dollars on his body. You know, you got to take care of your body. You play this many games. So uh, I feel that's going to be a real important thing for me this coming up year. Getting used to doing that and be on the road for maybe a week or two. Honestly, you just don't know. Um, so really just taking care of my body in your refugee role game and playing against these veterans that have been in the league for a very long time. Have you made uh, the first big purchase yet with the contract? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I got me an apartment. That's about it, honestly. You know, just trying to free out things, you know. Um, I'm in the city now, so um, for me, just knowing that, you know, know how to use your money, you know. Um, we had a rookie transition in Vegas, you know. So they talked a lot to us about, you know, financial so that's the big thing that I started paying attention a lot, you know, knowing how to spend your money, knowing that just because you made it, you make a million dollars now, I mean, you're going to spend your money just like that. It's like you call it investing. Um, so that's one thing, you know, I'm really you not know, had. Grant Williams, you know, he was talking to us at the regular transition about how he, you know, financial, you know, how to not spend your money. So there's guys like him, you know, he was a Tennessee ball. So, you know, guys like him, I could talk to him about, how does he budget his money and stuff like that? You know, you know, you have to save your money. One day you end up not playing basketball. So I feel like that's the thing that uh, I've learned throughout this whole rookie transition thing is, you know, budgeting your money. That that would be the part for me that would come at me fast. Uh, especially, I mean, you're not even 20 yet, right? You're 19? Yeah, I don't turn 20 till September. Yeah, I mean, I, I would not know how to deal with that at 19. You're, you're way more mature than we would be uh, if we were handed a million dollars. I, I can already tell. I would have I tried to buy yes. the entire apartment building that you're in right now and probably lost everything on it. So good job I by mean, you. you. You hear these amazing stories about how Shaq did not spend any of the money he made from his contracts. It was all endorsement money that he uh, right. spent on, and then he saved every every check he ever received. I mean, because that, of that, that's he owns Papa John's now. That's amazing, <laughs> yeah. if you if you really look back on his career. Yeah, that's just about your financial, and that's the thing I plan on doing, just use all my endorsement money. Don't, try to, don't touch my NBA contract. Use money from, like, Panini, signing those type of cars, or Leaf deals, you know, saving up on that, knowing how much money I want to spend each month. So that's one thing that I talk to my financial advisor about, you know, how to budget my money and stuff like that. Cause I definitely, like you said, I don't want to, I don't plan on touching my NBA money at all. Uh, especially my first year or just 
for sure that you know use my endorsement money. Uh, especially I'm in a city now, so I really don't feel like I need to spend that much money, you know, compared to me being not at home. You know, I'm home now, but um, but I feel like I'm doing a very good job, you know, knowing how to budget my money. Kennedy Chandler has been our guest. Congratulations on, on the success. Uh, did you uh, so? Whenever the Spurs drafted you, I, we were having this big discussion um, uh, about how we hated on NBA.com. It would still list the Spurs as the team you were playing it for. It might still list the Spurs. Because the trade had not officially <laughs> gone through. Um, are there are there people out there that still think you're a member of the San Antonio Spurs? No. <laughs> Except for the website I itself. I, the website doesn't matter. I'm pretty sure everybody in the whole world knows I'm playing with the Grizzlies. Uh, you know, um, when I got the Spurs had that pick and, you know, and they, they weren't using that pick. So uh, the Grizzlies had slide up, slid, slid up and, you know, took me at that pick. So when I found that out, I was very excited. You know, I didn't even put on a Spurs hat. Yeah. Oh, good. Put on the Grizzlies hat. I wanted to put on a Grizzly hat. So, you know, I was very excited, you know, for them, my name to be called and, you know, I'm home. So uh, I I've really been away from home for, for like two years, honestly. I was at Sunrise. Yeah, I was at Tennessee, so it feels good, you know, honestly, to be at home, you know. But, you know, I'm excited. From Kansas to Knoxville, now back home in, in the Cordova, Memphis area. Congratulations, man, and uh, hopefully we get to catch up with you throughout the season at some point. Yes, sir. Thank you all. all Thank right. you. Thank Kennedy. you. There's Kennedy Chandler. Enjoy playing for Greg Popovich also. Kidding, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Kidding. Yeah, so, I mean, they, they let those, uh, those teams stay up there next to that player for months. I guess whenever the league year kicks in, I guess, is whenever it's official. It's well, it's, it, but on draft night is where it's the strangest because yeah, if you're so just dumb. going to watch the ticker yeah. and checking back in on it, I'm the seeing logos next to it, logo next to a name, and I'm thinking, I just saw on Twitter where that there was excitement around this player playing with this guy <laughs> on a different team. So it's very confusing. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. Coming up, some news from the weekend, including some bad news uh, for former Crimson Tide wide receiver John Mechie, who's now with the Houston Texans. Details on his health. Next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. We love all of our, our great partners across the Outkick Network. Two new ones today in the Four Rivers region and Paducah, Kentucky there. We, we say hello. Plus, uh, the southeast region of Missouri, uh, Fox Sports Radio in Cape Girardeau. Glad to be a part of your daily commute. And we hope to make the afternoon go by faster for you with Outkick 360. Pretty cool on Twitter. Welcome, welcome. Uh, coach Wallace, who is the assistant coach at Paducah Tillman High School, big school there in coach. Paducah. Says, excited to have you guys on at Paducah. Been listening since the early days of the old show. Nice. And coaching high school football now nice. in Paducah. Terrific. So we say hello to you on 95.9 FM up in Paducah. If you are uh, tuned in uh, across the network, let us know. At Outkick360 on Twitter and Instagram is where you can find us. Terrible news with John Mechie, uh, former Crimson Tide uh, quarterback, uh, excuse me, wide receiver, who um, is now at the Houston Texans and uh, diagnosed uh, with leukemia. 
Second round pick, 44th overall. Yeah, and uh, a fantastic guy. Uh, this is a, a player who worked his way back off injury and demanded to play um, in some big games for Alabama, only to get hurt again, I believe. And for him to work again to get healthy. ACL. Yeah, and, and, and to, to have the, the combine um, and that he did and to get ready for uh, the, the NFL draft despite the injuries – uh, remarkable. The, the silver lining in this is the fact that he is in a city that is known for outstanding health care. So, the MD with, Anderson Cancer Center is yes. the best maybe in the world, so, right there in his backyard. Um, and he also, with the, the type of leukemia he has, um, he, he does expect to have a full recovery and expects to be back in the league, albeit based on his statement, he says it's not going to be this year. And so just uh, we send our thoughts to Mechie and, and his entire crew that's around him, but also we say, man, this is bad luck totally for not just him, but the Texans and everyone involved. You know, that, that's the side note to the story yeah. itself. Really unfortunate feel for the guy who's fought back from a lot of stuff, and now he's got the bigger fight uh, ahead of him, but he's in a great spot, as you said. And, um, you know, for, for all the dumb things the Texans have done to shoot themselves in the foot, here's one that's, you know, completely out of their control and just bad luck. So good thoughts for John Mechie and, uh, and in this instance for the Texans who didn't do anything wrong on this one. And Leukemia Lymphoma Society has done a lot of uh, work and research behind the scenes uh, to help advance the research and uh, the, the, the methods to go about curing this disease. And, Fortunately for Mechie, with uh, the APL, he has the most curable form of leukemia right now. So, again, we, we hope everything goes well for John Mechie down in Houston.